This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. It's really hard to walk in the blessings of God when you have a bad attitude. That's another subject, but just remember that. But these people challenged Moses constantly. You know, they challenged his leadership. They doubted his decisions. They even questioned his motives. At one point they said, well, you just brought us out here in the wilderness to die. I mean, seriously? They grabbed him at everything. You couldn't please them. The incident we're going to look at today is where the nation of Israel had a water problem. And the truth is, the Israelites had many water problems. The first problem was there was too much of it at the Red Sea. How are they going to get across? The next water problem is they didn't have any water to drink, and they're looking for it. Then the third water problem is when they came tomorrow. And here there was plenty of water, but it was bitter and unfit for drinking. What emerges from Moses' life are three principles that can help you and me in overcoming our own disappointments. Now, we're going to read a passage of Scripture here in Exodus 15, 22, and it's there on the screen for you. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Morrow, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Morrow. So the very word Morrow meant bitter. And it's obvious that the people of God were in a difficult situation. But here's what the story has to teach us. So the very first principle that emerges is that great success is often followed by failure. Now let that sink in. Great success is sometimes followed by failure. Three days earlier, the people of God had this great victory at the Red Sea. I mean, they're flying high. It's a spiritual mountaintop. In the very first chapter... They are singing the praises of God. God has delivered us. What a great day. Nothing's impossible with God. Three days later, they come tomorrow, and they're acting as though there is no God. What happened there? Have you noticed that every day brings a new set of challenges? In fact, after every mountaintop, there's a valley, always. Remember the Israelites entered the Promised Land? The first city they came to was Jericho. It was a large fortified city, and and you know the story. They marched around the walls with faith in God, and the Lord brought the walls down based on their obedience to him. And God gives them this tremendous victory at Jericho. They had just defeated the biggest threat to taking the promised land. A week later, they go to Ai, which is a dinky, insignificant village. There, they're overwhelmingly defeated. And if you look at that scripture passage, there's no evidence whatsoever they sought the Lord on how to take Ai. They got a little prideful, maybe a little overconfident, even a little arrogant. And as always, pride goes before a fall. If you want to live a life of victory, walk humbly before God. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. Jesus even told us, you can do nothing apart from me. So don't ever forget the need to depend on Christ daily. Don't ever lose that sense of needing Christ on a daily basis. But here's the point I want to make. It's the AIs that often get us down. 
And the big cross is alive. We know who to depend on. God, I can't do this. I need your help. We depend on God, and he comes through. But in the little problems of life, the daily irritations, we somehow think, oh, I've got this. Watch out. Because sometimes it's the little things that bring us down. Now, here's the question we need to ask. Why did God lead them tomorrow? He knew the waters were going to be bitter. Well, look at Exodus 15, verse 25. Then the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. There's that word tested. The Lord led them tomorrow. They walked into a bitter experience, and it was a test. Do they really trust God? How much faith do they have? Now, notice the Scripture doesn't say God tested them at the Red Sea because God didn't. They didn't have any faith at that point in their journey. God opened the waters of the Red Sea on the basis of Moses' faith and obedience. And hear me, God's character was revealed at the Red Sea, but man's character was revealed at Morrow. God's character is always revealed in the big incidences of our life. It reveals how immature they were. They had seen God work miracle after miracle on their behalf. And so in, in the face of this challenge, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Their response to every challenge was to complain, to gripe, to criticize their leader, and even God. I want to give you a personal illustration of a great disappointment my youngest daughter and I experienced many years ago. I actually shared this in a parenting class, but the story is appropriate for this message. It was in 2003, I made my first mission trip to Ukraine with the missionary evangelist the church supported. And my role was to teach at a pastor's conference all week while our team focused on a church planning project. The plan also involved me going back in, 20, uh, in, in 2004. My youngest daughter, Jordan, was nine years old at the time. And when I returned from that trip, she said to me, Dad, God spoke to me. I'm going with you next summer to the Ukraine. And part of me, a parent, I'm thinking, yeah, right. Really? And I told her, I said, honey, I don't have the money. But if it's the Lord's will, he'll provide. Well, this nine-year-old began telling family members, instead of toys for birthday and for Christmas, to sew into her mission trip. I mean, the trip was going to be over $2,000, and I didn't have it. And even with her family members giving her money for birthday and for Christmas, it was not going to be enough. Well, little did I know there was a successful businessman at First Baptist Church in Tulsa that God would use to help Jordan. This man had a niece who was Jordan's best friend. She told her uncle about Jordan's desire to go to the Ukraine with me. Again, you know, I... I had met this man, but I mean, I didn't know him personally at all. Well, the man called me and invited me to coffee. And I was stunned when he told me that God had spoken to him, and he gave me a check for $2,000 for my nine-year-old's mission trip a year later. And and folks, in the natural, strangers do not seek you out to give you $2,000 for a nine-year-old's mission trip. So I'm thinking, this child heard from God. I better pay attention next time. Well, now it's a year later. We're on our way to Ukraine. We left Tulsa on Monday morning at 9 a.m. 
After robbing a cab the next day and having dinner, we went to bed at 9 p.m. Ukrainian time. Three hours later, there was a knock on my door to tell me my father had unexpectedly died and we would need to return to the state. I was so overwhelmed and, and wasn't even sure how to approach this. But in my grief, the Lord spoke two very things clearly to me. He said, this is not about you. What if you're led to bitter waters because God wants to use what you're about to walk through to help other people? And personally, many lessons came out of this in the years to come, and it was not about me, and it wasn't about Jordan. God had a much bigger plan. But second, the Lord showed me I had to make this a teachable moment in my child's life. Your children are going to face giants in life. And when those moments come, parents can't do it for them. Just as David gathered five smooth stones as he went out to face Goliath, there were five stones, five lessons Pam and I wanted to pass on to our children so they could conquer their own giants. And one of those stones was how to suffer well. If you're a helicopter parent and you try to protect your children from everything, you're doing them a great disservice and they will not be prepared for life. Your children need to learn how to look to God and depend on him for themselves. Now, this was a time of great distress for me. But the second thing the Lord spoke very clearly to me, I mean, I heard the voice of God say to me, you cannot protect Jordan from this disappointment. But I want you to teach her to run to me in times of adversity and never run from me. And so right here, I knew this was an opportunity to build into our life a proper theology on suffering. And if you want to know what the other four stones are uh, to give your children, well, come out on a Wednesday night next time I do a family life class. And I'll be sure to include that lesson in, in the, that series, whatever I'm teaching. But I wanted to pass on to my child a proper theology of suffering. And so after waking Jordan up, I told her when facing disappointment, we never run from God, but we run to him. And the two of us got on our knees in the hotel room. We cried. We worshiped God, saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it became a holy moment to the point. I had the most profound experience with the Holy Spirit I'd ever had. The Holy Spirit came into that room so strong and so powerful, Jordan and I could not even stand in his presence. And then before leaving, Jordan stood on the balcony of the hotel overlooking the city of Kiev, weeping. And she said, one day I'll return to Ukraine to complete my mission. Now, as a parent, I'm thinking, God, what are you doing in the life of this 10-year-old? And remember, we left Tulsa on Monday morning at 9 a.m., and we're back in Tulsa on Wednesday at 6 p.m. We literally made a trip to the other side of the world and back in three days, and God had led us to bitter waters. Now, I'm going to come back to that story in a moment, but we're talking about how in life we are so often disappointed by things, by events, and by people. 
Now, here's a second principle that emerges that I want to show you, is that second you see here, great service is sometimes followed by forgetfulness. Israel had a short memory. It is three days after the victory at the Red Sea. Such an incredible miracle. And at the first sign of trouble, they doubt the goodness of God. They're complaining. They're ready to give up. Have you noticed how quickly people forget things? It's human nature. You know, some of you uh, may feel that no one recognizes the good job you do at work. Doesn't matter how much money you made for the company last year, they've already forgotten. And, and think about it. Children sometimes forget parents. Uh, bosses forget employees. Even spouses take each other for granted. Is there anybody in your life that you need to show some appreciation to? Is there anybody in your life that could use some encouragement? Well, my advice to you is provide it. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. And as I said earlier, the greatest disappointments are with people. So what do you do when you're disappointed in somebody? Well, there's five things that Moses teaches us here. There are three things he didn't do, and there are two things he did do, and they're worth looking at if you want to overcome disappointment of, of any kind. But here's what Moses didn't do. First, when you're discouraged or disappointed, don't curse the event and don't curse the people. Especially don't curse the people. Don't retaliate. Don't try to get even. Don't strike back. You know, Paul tells us to bless those who persecute you. Bless and, and do not curse. You know, the typical reaction when we're hurt is to retaliate. You know, Moses could have said, well, why don't you go back to Egypt? I'm going to go in the promised land without you, and honestly, my life will be a lot better and a lot simpler if you're not with me. Well, what do you do when you get offended? Moses, or, or most of us, let me put it this way, most of us have a tendency to get very creative in resentment. I honestly think sometimes in resentment, we're at the height of our creativity. <laughs> but the moment you start retaliating, God will stop defending you. So who do you want to defend you? You or God? See, you, you've got a choice. Who has more resources at their disposal, you or God? It's as if God says, if you go out there and you start cursing people, I'm backing off. But I will tell you this, if you will not curse people, if you'll maintain a sweet and loving heart, God will fight for you, and you will be well represented. You know, Moses didn't curse the people, and Mo God represented him well. And then second, when disappointed, don't rehearse it. You know, when we're hurt, there's a tendency to go over it again and again in our minds. Hey, I've been there, I've done that. It's not productive. You know, Paul talked about get rid of all bitterness, anger, slander, along with every form of malice. But if you keep rehearsing a disappointment over and over, it just gets bigger in your mind. It gets blown out of proportion. And, and truthfully, it's a very dangerous thing because grumbling becomes addictive. And soon your whole life is consumed by it. And so when you're disappointed, you don't curse it, you don't rehearse it, and third, don't nurse it. In other words, don't feed it. Don't have a pity party. Don't allow it to make you negative. Don't allow it to make you bitter. And here's why. Whenever the people of God 
allow bitterness or resentment to grow in their heart, it'll cut you off from the blessings of God faster than anything else. You know, Paul even talks about not letting the sun go down while you're still angry. And he said, otherwise you give the devil a foothold. When anger is allowed to last, we are actually giving the enemy of our soul an opportunity. I mean, you're angry at anybody. You hold on to it. It gives the enemy access to your life. Even Job said you're only hurting yourself by holding on to your anger. So don't allow a disappointing situation. I don't care if it's with people, an event, or with things. Don't allow a disappointing situation to make you angry, bitter, or resentful. You know, human nature, when we're hurt, is to draw into protective shell. You know, I'm not going to let anybody else get close to me. Can you imagine if Jesus had lived like that? Let's say Jesus returns to heaven ahead of schedule before he goes to cross. The angels say, Lord, what are you doing back here? And he said, well, I had some bad experiences with people on planet Earth. I found some people that they didn't appreciate me. They didn't like me. They rejected what I was trying to teach them. So I decided just to give it up and come home early. Thank God he didn't do that. You know, Jesus was hurt and disappointed often. But you know what he did? He kept loving, and he stayed focused on the mission. And you and I have to do the same. And the fact that you experience bitter waters, I want you to hear me, does not mean God does not have a good plan. Often a disappointment is a test of character or our faith or something God wants to develop in us. How am I going to deal with it? And so when you're disappointed, you don't curse it, you don't rehearse it, you don't nurse it. And now I want to consider the two positive steps Moses did take. And you're going to read this in Exodus 15, 25. There it is. And it's so simple. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. That's what he did. He cried out to the Lord. Run to God in your disappointment, never away from it. So when you're disappointed, here are the two things you need to do. The first thing you do is you disperse it. You give it to God. You let God have it. You, and, and if you're disappointed with other people, don't talk to others about them. Talk to the Lord. Other people can't solve it, but you talk to the Lord. And instead of holding a pity party, instead of gossiping about the other people, instead of trying to line up people on your side, you give it to God, and you let him fight for you. But give your disappointments to God, and I'm telling you, he's big enough to handle them. And then second, you let God reverse it. You let God turn it around and bring good out of it, and he will. Consider what God did for Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, remember, Joseph had ten older brothers, and they did not like their little brother, and they betrayed him. He is sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. There he's accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into prison. Now, Joseph had done nothing wrong. And you read the story, he was hurt intentionally by the people in his life. However, God had a plan for Joseph's life that was greater than his pain. And I believe that's the word for somebody this morning. God has a plan for your life that is greater than the present pain you are experiencing. And you know Joseph's story. You know, he rose to position of power in Egypt, 
And he was able to save all of Egypt and even his own family from a, a, a time of famine. There came a day God reversed it all. He's reunited with his brothers. And he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. If you're a Christian, God promises you in Romans 8 that all things, all things will work together for the good. God can take your greatest disappointment and in his time make it work for your good. That can only happen if you love the Lord and you trust him. And in this story, Moses trusted God and God reversed it. Now, it's interesting, most of the time when this passage is preached on, for some reason, the rest of the story is left, left off. But it's very significant. I want you to look at the solution God provided in Exodus 15, 25. Then Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. So he, now God is getting into solutions. Showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. So this was a miracle. Moses found a tree in the desert. He uprooted it, threw it in the water as God had commanded, and the waters became sweet. That tree is a symbol of the cross. Many years later, God would take another tree to make the bitter waters of sin and death sweet by offering us eternal life and forgiveness. But what is significant in this passage to me, it says, then the Lord showed him a piece of wood. It doesn't say God created it. God showed it to him. It had been there all along. And if Moses had been wrapped up in his hurt, his pain, his self-pity, he would have never seen the solution to his disappointment. And hear me on this. I'm convinced many times the solution is right in front of us but we are blinded by our bitterness and our resentment. So that's why bitterness and resentment, there's just no place. But here the solution had been here all the time. Now here's my final point here. Now I'm gonna make a few observations. But this is, for, for some reason, this is the part that's not often preached upon. But see, the story's not over. God made the bitter water sweet. Oh, but there's more, there's more. There comes a time that God turns it all around. So here's the third principle that emerges. The greatest shortages in life are often followed by times of fullness. Now, this is the good part, folks. There comes a time God reverses it all. Yes, God made the bitter water sweet. But you know what? They left morrow, and they're about to go into a place of absolute delight. Verse 27 then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. They literally walked from a place of bitterness to an oasis in the desert to find 12 freshwater springs, 70 palm trees, in the middle of the Sinai was paradise. It was a place of absolute abundance and delight. Now, here's something to think about. How far was Elam from Morrow? So how far is the place of disappointment to the place of delight? If you were to get out a geographical map and you look at the Sinai, you would discover Elam 
was five miles from Morrow. Let that sink in, five miles. Down the road, five miles was a place of abundance. More than the people of God do. They stopped at Morrow where there was bitter waters. But yet, five miles down the road, absolute delight. Let that sink in. And say, see, they're negative. They're unhappy with Moses. They're unhappy with God. They're gropping about bitter waters. But five miles down the road was abundance. And at Elam, there was more than enough of everything to meet their needs. It was, it was incredible. I mean, joy was up ahead. What does that mean? It means don't give up. You know, what, what's the whole point of the story? Here's why I'm going to give you three observations very quickly. For one, God is showing us we have a tendency to give up too soon. We want to stop at morrow and wallow in bitterness. But the message of the story is don't quit because Elam, the place of abundance and delight, is down the road. Now, and here's a great question. If Elam is so close, how, how do I get from this place of bitter waters to this place of delight? Well, here's a second observation. You keep going. You keep going. You keep loving God. You keep trusting God. Now, notice God did not bring Elam to them. They had to get up, and they had to move on in spite of their feelings. Now, I want to tell you the rest of Jordan's story. Now, it's the fall of... 2010. Seven years have gone by since the death of her grandfather and her dream. She's not 10 years old. She's 17 years old, and she's a junior in high school. And all during that time, she's loving God. She's serving the local church. I never once detected an ounce of bitterness in her life. And one day she said to me, Dad, do you think I'll ever get to go back to Ukraine. And this is one of those moments that what I said to her did not come out of my head without even thinking it came out of my spirit. And I said, yes, I do. And when God restores your dream, it's going to be bigger and better than anything you've imagined. Little did I know I was speaking prophetically. Within days of that discussion, the missionary evangelist we'd gone to the Ukraine with called me and said, there's an opportunity. And he said, I want you and Jordan to go with me to Kohovka, Ukraine, to help us with all of our Christmas events at an orphanage and throughout the city. God was very gracious because within three months, we both had the money to go. And one of the things I've learned in my ministry's experience is that God-given dreams often When they live, they're always bigger than you've ever imagined. And it's something you couldn't have accomplished on your own. But in January of 2011, Jordan and I made our way to Kohovka, Ukraine. And it was one of the sweetest mission experiences I've ever had. And to be able to share that with my daughter was just incredible. But Jordan's story doesn't end there. Jordan and I both returned six months later to assist at the summer camp at the orphanage. Then in June of 2012, Jordan led a team of 12 college students who are responsible for the entirety of the summer camp at the orphanage. And finally, in the summer of 2013, Jordan lived in Ukraine for an entire month working with an organization called Reach the Children. 
And even today, she's very involved with the Lord's Church and helping with outreaches in Ukraine. But here's the point I want to make. If you will not become bitter in times of disappointment, if you will not give up, I'm telling you, God will make something beautiful out of it. And yes, Jordan was led to bitter waters at 10, but seven years later, God turned it all around. He gave her four trips back, all expenses paid. And in the process of God restoring her dreams, so many others were blessed. See, your dreams are never just about you. Our dreams fit into God's overall plan for the entire world. And many others are going to be blessed. But by her, because her dream lived in a bigger way than she ever imagined, there were so many others who were blessed. There were the 12 ORU students that got to go with her that were blessed, their first mission experience. There were the children at the orphanage that were blessed time and time again. And then when there were others in many churches in Ukraine that were blessed that the team served. But whatever bitter waters you may be experiencing, I am telling you on the authority of God's word, the Holy Spirit can make the bitter waters sweet. So it is not a time to give up. What do you feel like giving up on? You know, where you are right now in life, it could be pretty distasteful. Maybe you don't like where you are. You know, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a dead dream. And you say to yourself, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like tithing my money. I don't feel like getting involved. I don't feel like trusting. What should I do? Well, the answer is very simple. You keep on praying. You keep on giving. You keep on serving. You keep on trusting. You keep reading your Bible. You keep going to church. And I've had people say, well, Pastor, my, my heart's not in it. Well, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> what is it? We're people of the Spirit. And we do not walk by sight, nor do we walk by our feelings. We are led by the Spirit of God. Now, here's my very final observation. Maturity is living by one's commitments and not our feelings. And the truth is, you may not like it where you are right now. It's bitter. It could be a difficult situation. Maybe it's financial moral you're going through, an emotional moral, a physical moral, and you're living with constant pain. Maybe it's a spiritual moral, and, and things just feel so dry in your life. But the fact that you're at morrow does not mean you miss God's plan. Morrow is on the map. See, God knows exactly where you are right now. And the issue is, how long are you going to stay there? God led them tomorrow, even though Elam was five miles down the road. They could have gone just straight there. He led them tomorrow to test their maturity. And it could be God is leading you through this experience just as surely as he led the Israelites through their own disappointment. But I want you to remember the greatest shortages in life are often followed by times of fullness. Elam is down the road. And in Christ, I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. So don't give up. Has something in your life that was once sweet gone sour? Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. It's distasteful. But what are you going to do about it? Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. Don't nurse it. Refuse to be bitter. 
and instead you want to give it to God. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And you trust God to reverse it. And I'm, I'm telling you, God will use that disappointment in your life if you will trust Him. What is the solution for our bitterness today? It's still a tree. Just as God used a tree thousands of years ago to make the bitter water sweet, God took a tree on Mount Calvary. Jesus hung on that tree, the cross, and he died to save you and me from our sin, our bitterness, our guilt, our regrets, the disappointments of our life, and to give us a new heart and new life. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. Now, here's why, here's why you should make that commitment. He is the one person in all of the universe who will never, ever let you down. And he does not disappoint. Paul also said in Romans that whoever believes in him shall never be disappointed. God does not disappoint. And I'm going to say this again. He has a plan. I don't know who this is for, but God has a plan that is greater than your present pain. And in Christ, the best is yet to come. And when you and I realize that God uses everything, even our disappointments, what I've learned is sometimes my disappointments actually are turned into an appointment with God. God has a hand in it. Others may mean it for bad, but God intends to use it for good. You know, open up your heart to Christ and you give him those disappointments. And you let him heal the hurt, the problem, the resentment, the bitterness. You let him have it all. And I'm telling you, there'll come a time you will reach Elam. And it's not that far away. I want you to stand with me. And I like every head bowed, every eye closed. And no one had, this is just going to be a moment between you and God. But if you're struggling with something distasteful right now, a bitter, disappointing experience, I want you to know God is big enough to handle your bitterness. He's big enough to handle that disappointment. But I just want you to take your hands, and I want you to see yourself giving God that disappointment. And we're going to pray. But you just give that disappointment to God right now, and we're going to pray. God, we're first going to bless your holy name. Job taught us to do that. When he lost everything, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So, Lord, we choose to bless you. We choose to praise you in spite of the present pain, in spite of the disappointment. We're looking to you as our source. And, Lord, first of all, I'm going to ask you to protect our hearts. Would you take bitterness and resentment away? Protect our hearts. And don't let us become bitter or resentful in any way. We need your grace to overcome the disappointments that life sometimes throws at us. But Lord, protect our hearts and just keep our hearts tender toward you. And now, Lord, we're looking to your word where you said you'll make all things work together for the good. So I thank you that you're going to take these disappointing, these painful experiences 
and you are going to make them work for our good. And I, I don't know how you'll do that. I don't know when you'll do that. I just want the authority of God's word. You make it all work for the good. And I thank you in Christ that the best is yet to come. And I thank you that you have the power and you are leading us from places of bitterness to that place our soul will be fulfilled and we find joy and we thank you, Father, that your plan is greater than our present pain. And Father, I pray for the comfort of your Holy Spirit. There's a comfort and grace and encouragement of your Spirit as people walk from these places of, of, of bitterness to this place of joy and abundance and provision you have for your people. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promise. And I do thank you in faith that you are making everything work for the good. Nothing is wasted within your economy. And we thank you in faith that you're laying out the good plan you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.